0: What's better than Anchor's podcast creation tools? Nothing. Mankind has always searched for evidence of God's perfection, and we found it. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place, for free. Which you can use straight from your phone or computer. The creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, the lesser of the podcast platforms Stitcher. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I've made five dollars, and I've been doing this for three months. So download the Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started. Guys, it's been a while. I've, uh, been distracted. Life got in the way. I have been able to continue reading the chapters from the Iron Heel like I expected I would. Uh, when you got kids around all the time, it's hard to sit in your basement shouting as you're reading because they can hear it, and it's embarrassing. Uh, I've had kids around a lot, so that kind of put a big damper on that. Then also, the other part being, I've had... The My friend Ben has been uh, doing the Book Boys segments with me A little sub-podcast uh, And that's been cool But uh, there's a lot of editing So with this, I almost never edit Which is fine I burp, I fart, I misread things Uh, I make fun of whatever it is I'm reading. I don't edit any of it out. I just leave it in there because it's part of the uh, I guess I like to think that it gives me a personality. It gives me some sort of authenticity that you can hear on almost any podcast in the world. But for me, I feel like it just makes me special. But when you're doing a podcast with another person then suddenly you feel like you're sort of on stage versus just sitting in your basement, reading a book to no one in particular. I have to edit out jokes I make that fall flat on his face. I have to edit out uh, times when I I get a little flamboyant in how I say something. I don't know, it, it just seems weird when there's another person there. And I'll say something, and in the recording you can hear them just not responding very well to what I said. So I have to edit the whole experience out. So editing takes a lot of time. And uh, that's been a lot of my time. It takes a day or so when kids aren't around to try and edit. And, uh, yeah, it's been eating up my time. So this guy has been a busy, busy boy with work, with house, my house... I found out that uh, I had a tree guy come over and uh, to trim up some stuff, get rid of some things. And um, he came to my property and started laughing. And I said, what the heck is so funny? Working man, proletariat. And he said, I've never seen a man with your problems before. You have ash trees. All your trees are ash trees. And uh, you have the emerald ash borer i guess is a big trend right now when i say this out loud i have no idea what i'm saying but if i say it other to other people they know exactly what i'm saying and they're like oh yeah that's serious so apparently it's like a big thing i think it's one of those local news kind of uh emergencies that people bring up Uh, so all my trees are ash trees and they're all dying And I guess the city can come around and see that, and they can make me spend a ton of money cutting it down. So this guy said, yeah, all your trees, you've got like seven. And they're all dead. And I said, oh, how much does it cost to get rid of them? And he said, "Eh, $15,000. I said, why? And he said, because you've got trees that are between your house and your neighbor's house. We have to get a crane... And all this stuff, we can't climb it because it's all brittle and falling apart. And I said, dear God, I don't have $15,000. So that's been a lot of fun. Uh, He said, let's send a man over. I know a man. Uh, He can inject your trees with some sort of serum, a magic elixir, to keep those trees alive. Uh, just long enough so you can take some time and save some money to try and get rid of the rest. And I said, all right, fine. And he goes, but this has to happen, like, immediately, because within 20 days, these other trees that still have leaves on them could be completely dead. And I said, uh, oh, crap. So I call this person. They say, I'll be over tomorrow at four. Guy never showed up. I text him. So when do you think you could be available? He says, how about today? And I said, okay, I'm around all evening Let me know And he said, alright, never showed up So tomorrow I have to call this guy again Or something I have to get someone to come inject the trees To save them It's been a nightmare My lawn is dead Uh, I I had a guy come out and spray it To get rid of all the weeds Because there's no grass, just all weeds So now it's just a big dirt lot Uh, But I don't have the money now to put down grass seed and do all this stuff. So that's been a nightmare. Uh, I got the AC put in. uh, The central air, I got that put in. But the guy who put it in, um, he's a nice man. But then he found a hoodie that had like Harley Davidson stuff on it. And I'm not a guy that cares about Harley Davidsons or motorcycles in general. He saw it, he looked at it, he said is this yours or mine? And I said, it's not mine. I'm sure it's yours. And he goes, I came here with a hoodie, but I don't think I've never seen this hoodie before in my life. And I said, I guarantee you, I do not have a hoodie like that in my house. It came from outside. And he said, huh. Then he went down to my basement where they've been doing some work. And I could hear him talking to himself about how he really doesn't want to take off with somebody else's hoodie and was real, real concerned about it. But he did that for a long time. He was down in the basement for 15 minutes talking to himself. So that was disturbing. Uh, At least that got done. That cost a lot of money, too. So I'm going broke. Uh, Not broke. My nest egg is getting depleted. So at least I have my nest cameras so I can monitor the outside of my house from the, the, the comfort of my cell phone. And see if strangers are walking around. I don't know. So, I got that going for me. Uh, and a lot of bugs. A lot of bugs. I got one on my wall right now, and it's disgusting. I think it's dead. So, that's home ownership for you. Uh, Father's Day. That's a thing that happened today. Uh, I hung out with the kids. Told, uh, told them about how when they were younger, we used to watch Spongebob and how it's a good show my kids hate spongebob but they loved it when they were younger but now there's a lot of memes involving spongebob that they think are hilarious and i said yeah because spongebob is hilarious that's the reason why there's memes and they said well we should watch some so we all got on the couch and we all snuggled up and we watched spongebob this morning then randomly they wanted to go to dunkin donuts that surprised me so we found one, they're very rare, and we, uh, we found one, and it sucked. It was like going to McDonald's, and there was barely any donuts there. And the, the people that go to Dunkin' Donuts are not the quality people. They're, they're sad things. Uh, then we went to Bachman's to go get some flowers to decorate the outside of the house. And that was my father's day. I texted a lot of people saying Happy Father's Day, and I, as far as I know they are fathers, and they seemed happy to hear about that, and there's been a lot of small talk since over texting. And that's it. I've been on a huge hiatus just because I'm uh, editing other podcasts and uh, just life. So let's get into the book. It's been a while, I don't even remember anything that's going on, but we're going to dive in, we're going to figure it out together. Also, there may or may not be inappropriate content for kids or really sensitive adults. It's public domain books, for the most part, that I'm reading, so um, I think it's probably pretty safe, and you probably shouldn't worry about it. But I don't read any of this stuff before I start doing the podcast, so I'm kind of learning about the book as you do, and uh, if anything really cool happens that's sexual in nature or involves a lot of swearing, I'm going to be pretty impressed, just like you and maybe your kid in the back seat. Have you ever listened to a LibriVox recording and thought to yourself, who are these people? Who's the guy with the labored breath and the cats yelling in the background that takes the time to read Anne of Green Gables to me? Uh, I found myself more focused on the individual reading the book than the actual story itself. Sitting there studying, listening for little sounds, the cars outside the window, the creaks and groans from the floor above the head of a neighbor who lives upstairs in the apartment. That is what I would like to recreate here for you with Nuzzle House Audio. I am Glenn Nuzzles. Well, guys, I really don't remember where I left off before, so I'm going to go look back at my notes, and I see that unions have scabs and those scabs have guns and affluence. Uh the oligarchy survives while the European governments fall. There's mild racism when it comes to Asians. Uh, I have down here the word coolie, which is not a good word. Uh There's some predictions about uh, other countries rising and England losing power, so that's a thing. Uh, Religious revival with the the end-of-the-world cults, I think they may have called that, just when it comes to things like essential oils. Uh, Yep, you got armies sent to quell the cults, and uh, Florida is considered a waste place, that's right, I forgot about that, where Native Americans also become end-of-the-world nuts, So, there you go. The world is falling apart. Which leads us to chapter 16, The End. Chapter 16, XVI. When it came time for Ernest and me to go to Washington, Father did not accompany us. He had become enamored with the proletarian life. Oh, he's romanticized it. He looked upon our slum neighborhood as a great sociological laboratory, and he had embarked upon an an apparently endless orgy of investigation. He chummed with the laborers and was an intimate in scores of homes. Also, he worked at odd jobs, and the work was play as well as learned investigation, for he delighted in it and was always returning home with copious notes and bubbling over with new adventures. He was the perfect scientist. Or, he's kind of dehumanizing the people that he's around and is just kind of treating it like a giant vacation. There was no need for his working at all because Ernest managed to earn enough from his translating to take care of the three of us. But Father insisted on pursuing his favorite phantom and the protein phantom it was, judging from the jobs he worked at. I shall never forget the evening he brought home his street peddler's outfit of shoelaces and suspenders. Nor the time I went into the little corner grocery to make some purchases and had him wait on me, after that, I was not surprised when he attended bar for a week in the saloon across the street. He worked as a night watchman, hawked potatoes on the street with pasted labels in a cannery warehouse, was a utility man in a paper box factory and water carrier for a street railway construction gang, and even joined the dishwasher's union just before it fell to pieces. I'm surprised there was a union for dishwashers. I think the Bishop's example, so far as wearing apparel was concerned, must have fascinated Father, for he wore the cheap cotton shirt of the laborer and the overalls with the narrow strap about the hips. Yet one habit remained to him from the old life. He always dressed for dinner, or supper rather. Hmm. I could be happy anywhere with Ernest, and Father's happiness in our changed circumstances rounded out my own happiness. When I was a boy, Father said, I was very curious. I wanted to know why things were and how they came to pass. That was why I became a physicist. The life in me today is just as curious as it was in my boyhood. And it's the being curious that makes life worth living. Sometimes he ventured north of Market Street into the shopping and theater district, where he sold papers, ran errands, and opened cabs. There, one day, closing a cab, he encountered Mr. Wixen. In high glee, Father described the incident to us that evening. Wixen looked at me sharply when I closed the door on him and muttered, Well, I'll be damned. Just like that, he said it, well, I'll be damned. His face turned red, and he was so confused that he forgot to tip me, but he must have recovered himself quickly for the cab hadn't gone fifty feet before he turned around and came back. He leaned out the door. Look here, professor, he said, "This is too much. What can I do for you? I closed the cab door for you, I answered, according to common custom. You might give me a dime. <laughs> "'Oh, the rich, just rich. "'Bother that,' he snorted. "'I mean something substantial.' "'He was certainly serious, a twinge of ossified conscience or something, "'so I considered with grave deliberation for a moment. "'His face was quite expectant when I began my answer, "'but you should have seen it when I finished.' "'You might give me back my home,' I said, "'and my stock in the Sierra Mills.' "'Which you think he wouldn't want to have that stock. "'I do remember that much.' "'Father paused. <laughs> "'What did he say?' I questioned eagerly. "'What could he say?' "'He said nothing. "'But I said, "'I hope you're happy,' he looked at me curiously. "'Tell me, are you happy?' I asked.' He ordered the cabman to drive on. He went away swearing horribly. And he didn't give me the dime, much less the home and the stock. So you see, my dear, your father's street Arab career is beset with disappointments. Street Arab. And so it was that father kept on at our Pell Street quarters while Ernest and I went to Washington. Except for the final consummation, the... Old order had passed away, and the final consummation was nearer than I dreamed. Contrary to our expectation, no obstacles were raised to prevent the socialist congressmen from taking their seats. Everything went smoothly, and I (laughs) laughed at Ernest when he looked upon the very smoothness as something ominous. We found our socialist comrades confident, optimistic of their strength, and of the things they would accomplish a few grandeurs, Grangers who had been elected to Congress increased our strength, and an elaborate program of what was to be done was prepared by the United Forces. In all of which, Ernest joined loyally and energetically, though he could not forbear now and again from saying, apropos of nothing in particular, when it comes to powder, chemical mixtures are better than mechanical mixtures. You take my word. Hmm. The trouble arose first with the Grangers and various states that they had captured their last election. There were a dozen of these states, but the Grangers who had been elected were not permitted to take office. The incumbents refused to get out. It was very simple. They merely charged illicitly in the elections and wrapped up the whole situation in the interminable red tape of the law. The Grangers were powerless. The courts were the last recourse, and the courts were in the hands of their enemies. This was the moment of danger. If the cheated Grangers became violent, all was lost. How we socialists worked to hold them back! Exclamation There were days and nights when Ernest never closed his eyes in sleep. The big leaders of the Grangers saw the peril and were with us to a man. But it was all of no avail. The oligarchy wanted violence. And it had set its agent provocateurs to work without discussion. It was the agent provocateurs who caused the peasant revolt. In a dozen states, the revolt flared up. The expropriated farmers uh, took forcible possession of the state governments. Of course, this was unconstitutional. And of course, the United States put its soldiers into the field. Everywhere the agent provocateurs urged the people on These emissaries of the Iron Heel Disguised themselves as artisans Farmers and farm laborers In Sacramento, the capital of California The Grangers had succeeded in maintaining order Thousands of secret agents were rushed to the devoted city In mobs composed wholly of themselves They fired and looted buildings and factories They worked the people up until they joined them in the pillage. Liquor in large quantities was distributed among the slum classes, further to inflame their minds. And then, when all was ready, appeared upon the scene the soldiers of the United States, who were in reality the soldiers of the Iron Heel. Eleven thousand men, women, and children were shot down in the streets of Sacramento, or murdered in their houses. The national government took possession of the state's government and all was over for California. And as with California, so elsewhere. Every Granger state was ravaged with violence and washed in blood. First disorder was precipitated by the secret agents and the black hundreds and then the troops were called out rioting. And mob rule reigned throughout the rural districts. Day and night, the smoke of burning farms, warehouses, villages, and cities filled the skies. Dynamite appeared. Railroad bridges and tunnels were blown up, and trains were wrecked. The poor farmers were shot and hanged, and great numbers' reprisals were bitter. And many plutocrats and army officers were murdered. Blood and vengeance were in men's hearts. The regular troops fought the farmers as savagely as they had been Indians, and the regular troops had cause. Twenty-eight hundred of them had been annihilated in a tremendous series of dynamite explosions in Oregon, and in a similar manner, a number of trainloads at different times and places had been destroyed, so... It was that the regular troops fought for their lives as well as did the farmers. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a break. And let's learn about a new upcoming book from Penguin Random House. Uh, this will come out on June 18th. So get your credit cards ready. It's called The Peculiar Pig by Joy Stuerwald. Illustrated... Also by Joy Stuerwald. The Peculiar Pig. The sweet, eh, funny story of a Dutch hound... Doc, Dutch, hound doc, Dutch hound? Dutch hound? Dutch hmm, hound? Puppy, who learns it is fine to be different from her piglet siblings. There was a different sort of piglet in the pig pen one cool spring morning. That, quote, different one is named Penny... And she's really not a piglet at all. She's a, a puppy, a puppy who gets longer and longer as her piglet siblings get bigger and bigger. Penny doesn't understand why she's different. She only knows that Mama Pig loves her just the same as the rest of the litter. Penny's siblings are baffled by her peculiar behavior, like digging with her paws instead of her snout to... Uh, and especially her loud, sharp oink. Good thing Penny likes all the sounds she can make. And when danger strikes, and her peculiarity is proved to be strengths, the-, the piglets see that sometimes it's good to be a little different! Exclamation point. Want to hear some praise? Stuart Wald's debut as both author and illustrator is an excellent, gently told addition to anti-bullying, adoption, and individual, individuality story times. What does that mean in individuality story times? The adorable piglets and Dutch hound pup are expressive and distinct, with a look that strikes the right balance between cartoon and realism. The bullying never rises beyond g- giggles at Penny's differences, making this a good conversation starter, even for the youngest of audiences. Look forward to more from Stuart Penny, the puppy piglet, is perfection. From Kirkus Reviews. Back to the story. As for the militia, the militia law of 1903 was put into effect and the workers of one state were compelled under pain of death to shoot down their comrade workers in other states. Uh, Of course, the militia law did not work smoothly at first. Many militia officers were murdered and many militia men were executed by drumhead court-martial earnest prophecy was strikingly fulfilled in the cases of Mr. Kowalt and Mr. Asmussen. Both were eligible for the militia, and both were drafted to serve in the punitive expedition that was dispatched from California against the farmers of Missouri. Mr. Kowalt and Mr. Asmussen refused to serve. Hmm. They were given short shrift. Drumhead Court Martial was their portion. "'and military execution their end. "'They were shot with their backs to the firing squad. Mm -hmm. "'Many young men fled into the mountains to escape serving in the militia. "'There they became (coughs) outlaws, "'and it was not until more peaceful times that they received their punishment. "'It was drastic.' The government issued a proclamation for all law-abiding citizens to come in from the mountains for a period of three months. When the proclamation, the proclaimed date arrived, half a million soldiers were sent into the mountainous districts elsewhere. There was no investigation, no trial. Or wherever a man was encountered, they were shot down on the spot. The troops operated on the basis that no man, not an outlaw, remained in the mountains. Some bands in strong positions fought gallantly. But in the end, every deserter from the militia met death. A more immediate lesson, however, was impressed upon the minds of the people by the punishment meted out by the Kansas militia. The Great Kansas Mutiny occurred at the very beginning of military operations against the Grangers. Six thousand of the militia mutinied. They had been for several weeks very turbulent and sullen, and for that reason had been kept in camp. Their open mutiny, however, was, without doubt, precipitated by the agent provocateurs. On the night of the 22nd of April, they arose and murdered their officers, only a small remnant of the latter escaping. This was beyond the scheme of the Iron Heel, for the agent provocateurs had done their work too well. But everything was grist to the iron heel. It had prepared for the outbreak, and the killing of so many officers gave it justification for what followed. As by magic, 40,000 soldiers of the regular armies surrounded the malcontents. It was a trap. The wretched militiamen found uh, their machine guns had been tampered with, and that the cartridges from the captured magazines did not fit their rifles. They hoisted the white flag of surrender, but it was ignored. There was no survivors. The entire 6,000 were annihilated. Common shell and shrapnel were thrown in upon them from a distance. And when, in their desperation, they charged the encircling lines, they were mowed down by machine guns. I talked, Eh. "'with an eyewitness, and he said "'that the nearest any militia "'man approached the machine guns "'was a hundred and fifty yards. "'The earth was carpeted "'with the slain and the final "'charge of cavalry, with "'trampling of horses' hooves. "'Revolvers and sabers "'crushed the wounded into the ground. "'Simultaneously "'with the destruction of the Grangers "'came the revolt of the coal miners.' It was the expiring effort of the organized labor. Three quarters of a million miners went out on strike, but they were too widely scattered over the country to advantage from their own strength. They were segregated in their own districts and beaten into submission. This was the first great slave drive. Pocock won his spurs as a slave driver and earned the undying hatred of the proletariat. Countless attempts were made upon his life, but he seemed to bear a charmed existence. It was he who was responsible for the introduction of the Russian passport system among the miners and the denial of their right of removal from one part of the country to another. In the meantime, the socialists held firm. While the Grangers expired in flame and blood, and organized labor was disrupted. The socialists held their peace and perfected their secret organization. In vain, the Grangers pleaded with us. We rightly contended that any revolt on our part was virtually suicide for the whole revolution. The Iron Heel, as first dubious about dealing with the entire proletariat, at one time had found the work easier than it had expected and would have asked nothing better than an uprising on our part. Oh, that's a good spot to put yourself in, like we're too important and they're just waiting for us, so we're not going to do it. But we avoided the issue, in spite of the fact that agent provocateurs swarmed in our midst. In those early days, the agents of the Iron Heel were clumsy in their methods. They had much to learn, and in the meantime, our fighting groups weeded them out. It was bitter, bloody work, but we were fighting for life and for the revolution. And we had to fight the enemy with its own weapons. Yet we were fair. No agent of the Iron Heel was executed without trial. We may have made mistakes, but if so, very rarely. The bravest and the most combative of the self-sacrificing of our comrades went into the fighting groups. Once, after ten years had passed, Ernest made a calculation from figures furnished by the chiefs of the fighting groups... And his conclusion was that of the average life of a man or woman. After becoming a member was five years. The comrades of the fighting groups were heroes all. And the particular thing about it was that they were opposed to taking a life. They violated their own natures. Yet they loved liberty and knew of no sacrifice too great to make for the cause the task we set for ourselves was threefold. First, the weeding out from our circles of the secret agents of the oligarchy. Second, the organizing of the fighting groups and outside of them of the general secret organization of the revolution. And third, the introduction of our own secret agents into every branch of the oligarchy, into the labor castes and especially among the Telegraphers and secretaries and clerks into the army, the agent provocateurs and the slave drivers. It was slow work and perilous, and often were our efforts rewarded with costly failures. The Iron Heel had triumphed in open warfare, but we held our own in the new warfare, strange and awful and subterranean, that we instituted. All was unseen. Much was unguessed. The blind fought the blind, and yet through it all was order, purpose, control. We permeated the entire organization of the Iron Heel with our agents, while our own organization was permeated with the agents of the Iron Heel. It was a warfare, dark and devious, replete with intrigue and conspiracy, plot and counterplot, and behind all, ever menacing, was death, Uh, violent and terrible. Men and women disappeared. Our nearest and dearest comrades, we saw them today and tomorrow. They were gone. We never saw them again, and we knew that they had died. There was no trust, no confidence anywhere. The man who plotted beside us, for all we knew, might be an agent of the Iron Heel. We mined the organization of the Iron Heel with our secret agents, and the Iron Heel counter with its secret agents inside its own organization. And it was the same with our organization. And despite the absence of confidence and trust, we were compelled to base our every effort on confidence and trust. Often we were betrayed. Men were weak. The Iron Heel could offer money and leisure and the joys and pleasures that waited in The repose of the wonder cities. We could offer nothing but the satisfaction of being faithful to a noble ideal. As for the rest, the wages of those who were loyal were unceasing peril, torture, and death. And there you have it. Chapter 16. The End The end of... What exactly? I'm not sure. Uh, America as we know it up to this point. Uh, The end as opposed to how Ernest sees things. He's never been a fan of anyone else in this story. Uh, The Grangers, the other socialists, the different labor unions. He's constantly telling them how they're doing everything wrong. Uh, So the end of what he finds annoying, perhaps? Uh, The beginning of a new world that Ernest is pleased with? Who knows? We found out from this that uh, Avis's dad is really romanticizing being poor to an embarrassing degree. He studies them, and it makes him feel young again. Uh, And also in this book, Even being a proletariat or being poor is still not a real person. They're just something to study. They're cartoons. Uh, You romanticize them. Uh, He is like a jilted lover when it comes to running into his old rich friends. He likes to remind them about how you screwed me over. Uh, Give me a dime. Just really rubbing it in. I'm poor, you're not. Just really being petty about it. Uh, The small businessmen, like Asmussen, uh, wind up uh, being told to join the militia, or whatever the United States government is having, where you get drafted, and they refuse to do it. And they get shot. Drastically. They were warned, Ernest told them, but no one ever listens to Ernest people literally ran for the hills to escape getting drafted and they just get killed later. Uh, I feel like from uh, one of the Bush Wars when we went into Afghanistan to go after Osama bin Laden uh, we learned that going into the mountains it's really tough to find people but here in this book people go into the mountains to escape getting drafted and uh, you just can can just go right in there and just round them up and kill them pretty easily. Uh, Somehow the Iron Heel makes sure the captured guns can't get used. So during these conflicts with the Grangers and whatever else, uh, you kill a man, you take his gun, and I imagine you take the magazines with the gun Uh, And you try to use them later and they just don't work. So that was amazing. Uh, The Grangers, whatever they are, are destroyed. They're not a part of the book anymore and hopefully I don't have to try and pronounce their name correctly. And we also learned that Wonder Cities aren't a thing that the Iron Heel and the Oligarchs hope to build later when they have more luxury uh, with their money and can start to appreciate art and build wonder cities it's just happening now because people are escaping to the wonder cities and uh and that's what we learned so there you go I'm back I'm reading the Iron Heel and it it's still tedious though not as bad as Ernest's speeches so that's an upside uh at least we got some action happening something's going on in the story So there you have it. Chapter 16 of The Iron Heel by Jack London. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it, as I kind of have. And uh, that you'll be patient with me and go through this journey with me. Until we get to the end of this and read romance novels.